Yep, we're picking up here on number five with our continuation of the uh, questions and answers that everybody submitted. So uh, thanks again for submitting those, and we're, we're grateful to have the opportunity to, to work through the rest of these, and uh, hope, hope they'll be a benefit to you guys. So let's go ahead and pick up on, yep. on number five. There. Okay, number five says, um, how would you wrap up an evangelism opportunity? Do you ask for commitment? Do you ask to pray with them? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I know. Often um, we get, uh, especially when we're talking to someone that we don't know where they come from, we don't know what their background is, um, and then we're desire. We have that desire to have them uh, know the Lord. We're anxious to see results right away. Um, so I, I think it's important that we, as we evangelize, that our goal isn't immediate responses. Right or immediate decisions, but rather that the gospel is clearly presented and clearly understood. I think that's right. the goal. Right. Um, we can trust after that that the Lord would work in their hearts as long as we're clear and, uh, you know, and they understood. Um, this way the Holy Spirit can do the work of conversion, if he wills. Yes. Um, and after a clear presentation of the gospel, at the same time, I would want to make opportunity to allow for questions. Mm. Um mm you know, share contact information, mm. plug them into our church mm. so that they're just not left That's hanging. Good. Um, but at the same time, guarding myself from wanting to see results right away. I think right. that's the problem yeah. that sometimes yeah. we often have. Yep, So absolutely. Yeah. That's good. And I, I think one of the things that I would want to add to that as well is, um, I was thinking of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 20, mm-hmm. where he says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us, yeah. we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So I do think how I desire to wrap up those conversations is I, I don't want to leave it in a way that it appears that it's just kind of a suggestion. Right. Like this may be something you want to do, but there's an immediacy and an urgency hmm that I think should come along with our presentation mm-hmm. that we would impress. I, I think that's what I see Paul doing here in 2 Corinthians 5. We implore you, we beg you mm-hmm. on, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled right. to God. So there's that um, that reality, right, that this person right now is under condemnation mm-hmm. and they may die today. Yeah. Um, and so I want to balance that with not having kind of the salesman pressure tactics to get them into some type of situation. But at the same time, I don't want to just walk away with that person thinking that it was just a nice little presentation that I brought to them. That's a good point. Um, But really impress upon the weight of this, that there isn't anything more important than this. And like you said, you, you have that balance there that the Holy Spirit does the work, but he he often does it too through our pleading. That's right. As Paul was yeah. uh, as Paul was doing here. So I think that's one one thing that I want to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. The second one, and I think this aspect of do you ask for a commitment? I don't know exactly where the question was coming from, but when I hear that, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm thinking of that aspect of you're looking for some type of response for the person. So this is again where I think we want to guard ourselves against that kind of salesman tactic. Mm-hmm. The commitment that I want to bring to the person. So I, I wouldn't use terminology like, are you ready to commit your life to Christ? Right. But I want to use biblical terminology like repent and believe the gospel. Mm-hmm. That's the commitment. Right. Right. It's, yeah. it's turning away from whatever it is that you're trusting in to make you right with God and turn to Jesus Christ alone right. and follow him from this point forward. So, um, 
I want to make sure that I do uh, follow what the scriptures say and what a commitment looks like right. uh, to Christ. And I think you can uh, use different language. I'm not saying that's the only language that mm -hmm. you use. There's other areas of scripture um, that help us to see what it looks like to repent and believe the gospel. I think of Jesus in Luke 14 where he was talking about, um, you know, does any man build a tower without first counting the cost of what it's going to take to do that? And he's using that in the context of following Christ, right. of think through what this is going to cost you. Um, so I want to help that person see that and use that type of language with them. So. Right. You know, I'm I'm always a big fan of let's use biblical examples. Yeah. You know, of, of what of what you yeah. know. We can try to be crafty and come up with our own examples, but right. we can't go wrong when we're using biblical yeah. examples Amen. of what's said there. And then that last part of that question is, um, do you ask to pray with them? Yeah. Um, so again, there, if if I'm understanding this question correctly, praying a prayer of salvation, if that's where the question is coming, mm -hmm. I don't do that. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a couple reasons for that. One is, I don't see anywhere in Scripture mm. where after the gospel is presented, somebody asks, do you want to pray right. and ask Jesus into your heart? Or some type of terminology like that. Right. That That's more of a modern kind of invention yeah. that we've brought to the gospel. And honestly, I think it's done more harm than good because it's, it's yeah, really really given false assurance, I think, to, right. to many people. Um, I can remember, you know, uh, going to um, an event when I was working with a parachurch ministry, and I don't even know if the guy shared the gospel. Wow. <laughs> you know, he gave some type of motivational speech and talked about Jesus a little bit, but right. there wasn't really any content in there about uh, their standing before a holy God, the God, the justice of God, the wrath of God, what Christ has done to take that. Right. So the components of the gospel, but at the end of it. Um, he had everybody sign this little card, right. you know, who wanted to give their lives to Christ. And then, you know, he said, hey, hold these up and remember this is your spiritual birthday today wow. and things like that. <laughs> yeah. And I remember I was working through a lot of things theologically at that time. So I remember just thinking that that's Something that just wrong. doesn't seem right. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that... And the other aspect of it is where my confidence lies again is in this reality. What Romans 8 says... The Spirit bears witness with our spirit yeah. that we are the children of God. Yeah. I don't have to give somebody assurance that, right. they're, that they're in Christ. The Spirit of God will give that insurance. Now, I yeah. can point to people, I, I can point to scriptures to help people to see yeah. how they can be assured, right? Um, but the Spirit is the one ultimately who gives the assurance to people. So I think that's really important. Let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. Yeah, and he gives the assurance. The second thing is with the, with, with the aspect of, um, you know, asking them to, to pray and, you know, if you're using biblical terminology to repent and believe the gospel. Mm -hmm. um, I think you, if you've already done that in the presentation, that's, that's sufficient mm -hmm. in, in and of itself. Yeah. And, and what, what I like to remember there is I don't want to coerce somebody into a prayer Right. That that they really don't know. Here's what I trust again is Second Timothy two twenty five. God grants repentance. Amen. So those are things that are going on in my mind and just through the years of evangelizing, I've definitely, you know, gone in different directions, but I've become more convicted as I study scripture that 
uh, these things are, are true, that the Spirit of God is the one who brings repentance, the Spirit of God is the one who brings assurance. Like you said at the beginning, we need to just make sure that we're faithful in our proclamation of the gospel. Yeah. There is something that I do like to do, though, in closing up a conversation, and there's one last passage that, if I have time and the person's willing, that I'd like to turn to, because I think it helps sum up everything that hopefully I've just said, yeah. and that's Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. So I want to I want to read that real quick, um, which is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Mm. So he said uh, Luke 18, 18, verses 9 through 14. So I'll just go ahead and read that. Mm-hmm. Um, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous mm. and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. I, I, and I want to help a person see what, what does that mean? That, yeah. mean it, that may not mean a lot to us, but when Jesus uses this parable, he's talking about people who are on opposite ends of the societal spectrum. Right. That the Pharisees are esteemed, they're looked at as the religious leaders, uh, people would have respect for them in that, that sense. The tax collector totally despised by everyone in Israel because they're working for Rome, they're collecting taxes from their people, you know, they're dur- doing the work of the enemy, essentially. Right. So you got two people who are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Right. So the Pharisee uh, begins speaking first here in verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, or in this way, mm. God I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So really helpful to help this person see this is what we've been talking about, right? Our natural tendency is to commend ourselves to God, Yes. right? Our natural tendency is to come to the table and say, here's why I should be found acceptable in your sight, right? And that's what the Pharisee is doing. And then verse 13, but the tax collector, standing far off. Mm-hmm. So what, what I want to help somebody see there is, why are they standing far off? Because they've gone up to the temple. Right. And the temple at that time represented the presence of a holy God. Right. And so the tax collector is saying, I'm not Just, going near that temple. Yeah. I'm unholy and a holy God dwells there. So you get a, you get a view into his heart and mm-hmm. what's going on in his mind says he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, which is very common mm. in the scripture, was to have your head lifted and your eyes open, raised to heaven and praying to God. Yeah. Well, he's so ashamed yeah, of, his, of his sinfulness, uh, but he beat his breast, right? And that was a sign of contrition, where he's just beating his breast. And here's what he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Mm. There is the sinner's prayer. Right. Wow. <laughs> right? Yeah. So that, wow. there, there is the, the sinner's prayer, right? That's just one aspect of it. So I want to help somebody to see that. That's what that's what God is mm. you know, that, that's what God's seeing is yeah. that you're broken over your sin. You recognize you've sinned against a holy God. Why are you asking for mercy? Because you recognize what you deserve is justice. Yeah. You deserve the judgment of God forever for your rebellion against him. Right. And so this this all this man can do is say one thing, yeah. one sentence. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Wow. And he's just speaking out of the abundance of his heart, and we see that from what was going on, yeah. how his disposition was. And so Jesus, what does he say? I tell you, this man, this man went down to his justified. house justified, yeah. rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, mm. but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So that yeah. is a really good passage yeah. to sum up your conversation. And again, you may not have the opportunity to go through all that, mm. but that's where I try to 
end with somebody if possible. Yeah. Because that brings such clarity and it, it, it lays out hopefully everything that I've said that your works are not going to do anything but bring judgment upon you. That's right. Your only hope is that you would see your spiritual bankruptcy yeah. and cry out to God that He would that He would save you. Yeah. And then and then how I want to answer that is again, you know, seriously consider this today. You you're not promised the the rest of the day. And again, I don't feel like I'm trying to be a salesman in that. I feel mm-hmm. that that's the Second Corinthians five twenty mentality. Yeah, that you're impressing <clears throat> upon that person. Yeah. So anyway, those are just some thoughts that I have. How I want to kind of wrap some things up. Some things that I want to avoid. Yeah. And some things that I would want to want to include. Yeah, that's that's very helpful. Um, very good. Cool. Yeah. Cool. All right, let's look at number seven here. Okay. Um, what do or can you say to the stranger at the checkout counter or mm. anyone you only have a few moments with to plant seeds? Mm. As urgent as our message is, <clears throat> I want everyone to hear it, but we also operate within time limits and schedules. Really, really helpful. Yeah. Really good question, yeah. and I really it, uh, appreciate it. I, I just want to say a lot of people think think this way. You know, They want to take advantage of the time that they have, mm-hmm. and so they feel the urgency, like you were saying. That in every opportunity of life, they take advantage and they say something. Yes. So, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think this is where um, a good gospel track comes in very handy. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, I want to try to be mindful of that throughout the day is carrying some type of gospel literature mm-hmm. on me. Um, <clears throat> for those situations where something like that would, would arise... Um, so whether it's the person at the checkout counter, it's the person that you're just walking by, um, you know, in the mall, it's the person, maybe you're at a bus stop, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the case may be, our mentality should always be, how can I seize this opportunity for the Lord yeah, and, yeah. And, and put something in this person's hand? I'm not going to have the time, right? This bus is coming in two minutes. I got two minutes, right? <laughs> right? So having a good gospel track to say, hey, I really would love to give this to you and I really would encourage you to, to look at this. Mm-hmm. It talks about the gospel and what Jesus has done. Um, and so you, you just try to get a few words in, yeah. you know, as you as you can. But a good gospel track can leave that person with something that they can read yeah. either on the bus or at the checkout counter. I think about like a checkout counter type of thing. Let's say if yeah, you know if you're if you're exactly so you're kind of working through, but that doesn't mean you can't do anything, right? Right, and and I think that's what's important to remember is sometimes we think because I can't get into that full fledged conversation with this person, right. I'm not going to do anything, right? And so our mentality should be while I can't do everything or say everything that I'd like to say, that doesn't mean I can't say something, right? Um, so <clears throat> going through Publix and you see. Uh, Samantha, mm-hmm. the cashier, uh-huh. right? And uh, Samantha, hey, thanks for helping me out today. I want to give this to you. I'd really love for you to take a take a look at it when you get a chance. Yeah. Vitally important. The most important message you'll ever hear. Yeah. I like to say things like that because it's true. Yeah, and it typically sticks with people that like, wow, this is, yeah. this is something. The benefit of that is a week later, if I shop at the same place and I see Samantha, mm-hmm. I'm going back through Samantha's line. Right. Even if that other line over there is shorter, I'm going to go back through Samantha's line because yeah. now I want to kind of follow up and just say, hey, I don't know if you remember me or not. I yeah. came through about a week ago. I gave you something. Did you have a chance to read that? Yeah. And so you never know what can happen in a situation like that. So I really appreciated the question because it shows the sensitivity of yeah. how can we take advantage of those times. And personally, that's where, where I have felt a really good gospel track comes in handy because it is something that we can get into somebody's hands and Lord willing, 
it could be something that we could follow up with yeah. in, in the future if we're, if we're able. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, I think, too, I think something that you mentioned before to me, um, I think we were just talking on the side, and you were, um, we were talking about um, just that, <clears throat> that feeling that often you feel that you, um, you can easily get discouraged if you feel that you can't um, get enough words in or, mm-hmm. or have enough time to, to break something down to a person. Uh, but also reminding yourself, you can always revisit these situations. Mm-hmm. Um, like as I think of like if we, you're in a line at Publix, um, leaving them with a track or um, leaving them with something and, and doing like what you said, you know, coming back and try to revisit that situation. Um, I think that's that's good to keep in our minds so that we don't feel discouraged that, man, we the, our blood, the blood is in our hands because we never got to, um, you know, give them everything that that they ought to hear. Um, I think now with technology, we can mm-hmm. give them um, mm-hmm. links to websites. Yeah. We can give them links to YouTube videos that would have a sermon or <clears throat> an explanation of the gospel, yeah. things like that. So we can take good. advantage of those things. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Good, good point. Yeah. That's, that's good. Okay. Let's see. We are in uh, number eight, right? Yep. Got it here. Yeah. So how does... The question is, how does Reformed theology influence our evangelism? Is it important? What of it do we include in our presentations? Mm. Good question. Very good question. Um, So I want to answer this in two ways, because I don't know exactly how the question is being asked, but I'll just say, how does Reformed theology influence my evangelism personally? From the first perspective... It, it helps me knowing that this is all of God, mm-hmm. right? God, before the foundation of the world, has elected those who would hear the gospel and believe it, perhaps not on the presentation that I give in that moment, yeah. but nonetheless he has. Yeah. Um, and that he will cause that person, if they are his, to hear that truth at some point, yeah. even if they're not hearing it right then, if that's just a seed or if we're watering it, that frees you up in evangelism because it, it, yeah. it releases you from that salesman type of pressure that right. I got to close this deal right now. And of course, that's always our heart's desire is that, yeah, that person would fall on their face right now and repent and believe the gospel right. and they would come to know Christ. But an understanding of the sovereignty of God in salvation really frees you up in your evangelism because you recognize your role in it, right? This isn't, all of this doesn't sit upon me, you know, in this, in this moment, right? What I'm to be faithful to do is to either plant the seed or if seeds have already come before me to water it and to trust that God will give the increase as, as he, and so we're, we're to plant, we're to water, we're to pray for the reception of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, and we are to entrust it to, to the Lord. So I think that's the first way that an understanding of Reformed theology and specifically God's work in salvation frees me up in my in my evangelism. Yeah. What, what would you think? Yeah, I agree. That? I agree a hundred percent. I think uh, when I when I came to understand Reformed theology, and and again, just for clarity, um, Reformed theology, uh, in my perspective, is is basically just uh, uh, a a clear explanation of what the Bible already teaches. Amen. And so it, it giving, uh, having reformed theology informed the way that I, uh, evangelism again, has freed me up, uh, from feeling that burden that all of it depends on me. The state of the soul of the person depends on me in, in that sense. Right. Um, what I, what I, 
what I think is important, and I think a lot of people get confused, is that, uh, you know, they, they feel that every doctrine that's involved with Reformed theology, like, for example, the tulip or anything mm-hmm. historical, like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, understanding uh, Martin Luther and the 95 Theses and things <laughs> like that, <laughs> like, all those things do not necessarily have to be part of our evangelism and i think that's where the confusion often lies that we we meet a stranger and automatically you know our first thing is to talk to them about election or predestination and and the deep the deep understandings that we understand from reformed theology um but uh again uh, i think when, when we evangelize our our heart is to um win their soul, uh, to give them the gospel, um, and have Reformed theology inform on the reality of what takes place there. One of the things that I think about is the the doctrine of total depravity, and that mm-hmm. helps me understand the way that the person is going to receive yeah. the gospel. Uh, I'm not going to walk, um, you know, completely discouraged as if I didn't expect mm-hmm. rejection right because uh, reformed theology has informed me on how how to understand the nature of man yes. and things of that nature so that's again good. it's, it's just good. it's just uh, it's just a theology that's that's rooted in the Bible yeah. the things that the Bible already teaches about the state of man's soul yeah. and the power of the gospel um, those things just help to bring clarity when we think about amen. how to evangelize amen but um, yeah, yeah yeah that that's that's excellent. Um, I, I agree with you. I don't ever get into <laughs> doctrines like election right. or things of that nature because, not that I would avoid the question if it was asked, sure. but to your point, what the person that I'm speaking with needs to hear is the gospel. Amen. Yeah. Is their standing before a holy God and what Jesus Christ has done in order to save sinners. Yeah. Um, that's the gospel. How the gospel works, mm-hmm. in other words, understanding man is dead in his sin, understanding that before the foundation of the world, God elected, understanding that Christ died for his people, understanding that God irresistibly draws people to himself, understanding that God will keep his people all the way to the end, yeah. is something that they'll grow in their understanding of. Yeah. But they don't have the ability to, to get into a theological discussion, really, right. with an unbeliever Exactly. in a sense, is kind of fruitless because they don't have the spirit to understand the things that you're going to be talking about from the scriptures. Yeah. So I want to get to the gospel. That's what they need more than anything. Yeah. And after they come to know the gospel, mm-hmm. then we can talk about how the gospel works. Yeah. And I think all of us have, have kind of experienced that. Yeah, like, that's, that's in my story. Yeah. You had this understanding that here's how I came to Christ, mm-hmm. right? And then as you continue to read the scriptures years later, you're like, here's how I really came to Christ and (laughs) here's why I came to Christ and here's what Christ did even before I knew what was going on. Um, So that, I think you bring up an excellent point. Let's, let's stick to the gospel. Mm. Let's allow that understanding of what the Bible teaches that we would call reformed theology Mm -hmm. inform how we ought to evangelize, but not necessarily be a topic in our evangelism with the unbeliever. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Good. Good point. And uh, number nine, okay, I'll ask the question is, mm-hmm. number nine says, how can we encourage more of the members of Faith Baptist to join in on Saturday evangelism, uh, corporate opportunities? Right, yeah. Okay. 
and and I kind of put the corporate opportunities in there. That wasn't part of the question, but mm -hmm. that's what I heard the person saying because right now our most of our corporate opportunities are happening happening yeah. on Saturday. Yeah. You know, and, and that's a good question. Um, as I've thought about this throughout the years, and advice as I've experienced it personally, mm -hmm. um, you can make general announcements mm -hmm. all day long yeah. about there's an evangelism opportunity coming up. Um, and it'll probably bear very little fruit. And, and that's not to say anything against the people who are hearing it. Um, you know, announcements at times just have a way of kind of flying over our head, especially if you're coming into church and you got all these things on your mind that right. you know, maybe you had a bad morning or whatever, and that's kind of, you know, yeah. so you know the struggle, the natural struggle oh, yeah. that goes on when we're coming into, oh, yeah. into worship. So the way that I've seen this be most effective is on that one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. opportunity. Um, of just asking somebody, if you're somebody that has gone out in a corporate opportunity setting, um, the next opportunity that you're planning on going out with, make it a goal for yourself to ask someone else. Mm -hmm. So that's how I've seen it be most beneficial. And then secondarily, I would say also, make sure that you um, lay out the expectations of what you're asking this person to come into. If somebody's never gone out on the streets to share the gospel before, it can be a very intimidating thing, yeah, right? Yeah. Because you can be thinking, I don't know everything, right. and I feel like I do need to know everything right. in order to go out and talk to somebody about Jesus. Right. So the person who has gone out there and who recognizes, I don't know everything either, right. and I'm not going to know absolutely everything about everything, right. every question <laughs> that comes up, right. um, but I, I know the gospel. Amen. And encouraging that person that that's what if they know the gospel they have everything ultimately that they need to yeah, know in true. talking to somebody um, out on on the street so how I want to help that person see this is I understand there's probably some type of um, fear there mm -hmm. which by the way I just want to confess that every time I go out to share the gospel or anytime I'm in some type of evangelistic, conversation, mm -hmm. fear is present. <laughs> fear is, fear is present. My heart starts beating rapidly. Yeah. And the reason for that is because we're in a spiritual war. That's right. I mean, we, we have to remember that. Yeah. And also, my flesh is still hanging on. Mm -hmm. And it wants to be, it doesn't want to be isolated. Mm -hmm. It doesn't want to be, oh, if you bring this up, <laughs> you're going to be really isolated. Yeah. And it's going to get really uncomfortable, probably. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So those things are always present with me. Mm -hmm. um, but by God's grace, I just try to stay in a spirit of prayer and get through those first couple minutes. Mm -hmm. Because once you get through those first couple minutes, it actually gets easier, easier oh, as you get into that conversation. Yeah. Um, so I want that person, whoever it is that's going to come out, to understand that I, I'm not asking you to say anything. Mm -hmm. I want you to just come alongside me. And what I want you to do is please be praying mm -hmm. as I'm sharing the gospel with that's this good, person. Yeah. So I want to I want to alleviate that person that you need to speak as soon as we get out there and you got to start talking you better know yourself that that would be foolish to yeah. say that it's hey let's let's just come alongside me and if you don't feel like saying anything you're not obligated to say anything I'm going to speak yeah. but I, what I want you to do is please pray for me as I'm speaking yeah. and then if you feel led to speak feel free to yeah. do to do so and more often than not I think about my own evangelistic training and people taking me out and before you know it you're wanting to say something. Right. You're wanting to yeah. speak to something. It's interesting how I can be in a conversation with somebody and I can have somebody maybe that's newer to a corporate type of opportunity setting 
And this person sharing their story with me, and I, I can't really relate to it at all, but yeah. this guy over here that just came out with me, uh -huh. he totally relates to what's going on here. Yeah. And, the, and then this person jumps in, and it's like, <laughs> God's like, this is why I brought you out here yeah, this morning. Exactly. So that personal one-on-one -on -one invitation is, I really believe, the way that is most effective. Yeah, I agree. Being real, mm -hmm. saying, are you, are you afraid? Are you feeling fear? Yeah, yeah. me too. So let's, let's get before the Lord and let's pray that he would remove a spirit of fear and give us a fear for him alone, mm. uh, that we would open our mouths. So let's be honest. Let's, those of us who have gone out more or, or who have had more opportunities to speak, let's not try to put on some type of mask like, hey, I got this all figured out. Right. I've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. I'm a fellow struggler along with you, Amen. trying to be faithful to God and bring this glorious gospel to, yeah. to others. Yeah, that, that's very helpful. I, th I agree with you. I think uh, the biggest thing is... Um, or the biggest thing for people is fear. I mm -hmm. think they're just afraid, and mm -hmm. yeah, I admit to that too as well. But um, yeah, that's very helpful. I yeah. think that would work best. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So I'll read this next question here. Yeah. <clears throat> How can we keep a balanced, gospel-centered conversation with a person who leans toward an antinomian understanding yeah. without seeming legalistic or works-based? So let's let's first, just for the sake of clarification, let's mm -hmm. let's define what antinomianism is, yeah. because then that'll help us as we think through yeah. what the question is exactly asking. Yeah, antinomianism uh, is uh, two key words there: anti and nomos, which means against yep. law. Right. Um, and so, you know, when people uh, ask questions about leaning towards antinomianism, yeah. uh, what that usually means is you know, is there a gospel or a kind of Christianity that that is lawless, that just assumes that, well, great, since grace covered everything, there's no need to live holy lives. Yeah. And so yep. that's what antinomianism yep. is. Yep. Uh, but again, I think it's important that we first take in the seriousness of the sin of antinomianism. Yes. Um, and, and we share this with the person whom we're speaking to, right? Antinomianism is the false idea that the gospel not only frees us from our guilt, but they assume that it frees us from our responsibility to be um, uh, a people who, who seek and strive for personal holiness. Amen. But <clears throat> there's scripture, right? The, the Bible calls every believer to live holy mm -hmm. even after our sins have been forgiven. In fact, a sign of true spiritual life in a person is a life in pursuit of holiness. Yes. So I'm just going to read some, some yeah, passages in scripture. First um, John 2, 3-6, to mm. um, it says, And by this we know... We have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Mm. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walks. Amen. So, uh, you know, it, 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 it can be confusing um, where we, we know that Jesus Christ died for our sins, he lived the perfect life for us. Mm -hmm. And and positionally, we've been made clean, we're saved, and there's no condemnation. Um, but the temptation is to to walk unworthy of that yeah. by, uh, you know, forgetting the grace of God and, uh, and, and living a life that um, is not in step with, with, with the gospel. You, we have a tendency to forget that the sin that we commit is the sin that Jesus had to pay for and to, to, to abuse the grace of God by living 
you know, according to the flesh and doing what we want to do and being and not following um, his ways um, is, is really trampling on the grace of God. Yeah. Um, so again, we, we're, we're saved and we've been made clean. However, we're called, we're called out of the world. We're called to be separate and holy and live lives in pursuit of holiness. Right. Um, we want to please God. And I yes. think that's, that's one of the things that happens when we, we were born again. The Spirit comes in and it changes our hearts and our affections. Yep. We still struggle with sin, yep. right? We're still in this body. Yep. Um, but, but our desires are different, our hungers are different, and that grows too. You know? Yes. We're not, we're not even perfect in our desires for God. Right. Uh, God is, is slowly but progressively sanctifying us and making us the desire um, that which pleases him. And it doesn't look perfect every day, but that path, that walk that we yeah. live in of holiness is what yeah. we're called to, right. called to live in. Amen. So, yeah, again, the question is how to keep a balance. Yep. Um, I think it's um, first and foremost um, uh, seeking uh, the word of God and allowing the word of God to, to change your affections mm-hmm. and develop a, a stronger love for God and for people. Um, and with that, um, your desires would, would change towards, uh, you know, living a holy life. Mm-hmm. It, 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 you would desire that over sin. Um, and I think, I think as long as you're around the means of grace and you constantly are around the people of God, um, that desire develops stronger and stronger uh, as you grow and mature as a Christian. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's a way to um, to keep you from from you know living a lifestyle of sin yeah. and and trampling over the grace of God. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Those are those are really helpful. Um, yeah. The the only thing that I would that that I would add to that is in that conversation uh, with that person who has that leaning towards it um, that under that misunderstanding of the grace of God. I think. It's important to help them see the multiple uses of the law of God. Um, and one is to bring conviction of sin, right? That, that law functions like a mirror in revealing the holiness of God and the sinfulness of our own hearts. Um, and when we come to Christ, we're freed from the condemnation of the law, right? So that doesn't hang over us anymore. And like you said, I think where people get confused with that is they think that being freed from the condemnation of the law mm. means being freed from walking in obedience to to the law of God now as a believer. Mm. And you brought up a great scripture, brother, in, in 1 John 2. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated that because um, verse 3 again says, and by this we know that we have come to know him, mm. right? So so the law is not something that's going to make us come to know him, right. which is how some people would view it. Right. They would say, well, I'm not under law, I'm not under grace, I'm not trying to earn my salvation anymore. Right. That's true. You can't earn it. Christ has earned it on your behalf. Mm-hmm. But this is how we come to know if we have truly come to Christ. Mm-hmm. It's we'll keep his commandments, Amen. if we keep his commandments. So... The commandments are not now standing as a, um, a, a condemning law against us. Right. They're now the desire of our hearts, mm. right? That's the promise of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 is that the law is now written on our heart. Mm-hmm. And so there's a desire to want to live 
holy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really an, an important. I was thinking of a passage, same same book here, 1 John, mm-hmm. just over in chapter 3. Um, and I'll pick up there in, in verse 1. And I'm just going to read verses 1 through 9. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think this is really helpful. When you're in that conversation with somebody, like you said, well, it's so important to take them to the scriptures mm-hmm. and let the scriptures inform their understanding. Amen. Because there's so much false teaching out there that, that will tell them that, okay, you've you've come to Christ. It doesn't matter how you live now. All that right. matters is that you've come to Christ. Right, that's right. That's a false gospel. That is. Um, and how we help people to see that, that we're in conversations with, that may hold that, is take them back to the Word mm. and help them to see this. So 1 John 3 is a really helpful, helpful passage. It says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Mm. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Mm. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Mm. Now watch this, verse 3. And everyone who thus, or in this way, hopes in Him, does what? purifies himself as he is pure. So anybody who has the hope of the gospel, of Jesus returning to get his people, have a desire for purity. They have a desire for holiness. If that desire is not there, you've believed a false gospel. Now that, like to your point, like you said, none of us perfectly have that. We want that. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, the joy to wake up mm-hmm. tomorrow morning and to walk in perfect obedience to God's commands. <laughs> yeah. Every thought I have, every word I speak, every deed I do would be pleasing in His sight. That would be glorious. Yeah. Because what that would mean is perfect intimacy with God. There's nothing, Hindering. no barriers there. I'm just total intimacy with Jesus. That's what every believer wants. Yeah. And that's the Spirit of God uh, testifying in our hearts. But then watch, watch as this goes on. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Mm-hmm. So there, there's that aspect of antinomianism, right. lawlessness, right. right? So if if a person believes that they can keep on sinning and still think that they're in a right relationship with God, then I mean, you've got a serious problem with this yeah. passage, mm-hmm. right? Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is it's lawlessness. Lawless. Now watch this. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Mm-hmm. No one who abides in him, who's a Christian, keeps on sinning. Mm. And and what that's talking about there is just living a life of habitual, unrepentant sin. It doesn't mean that you're not fighting against sin because all of us us are. Mm -hmm. Um, And then watch this. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So a person cannot truly say, I know God, and be living in a a habitual life of unrepentant unrepentant sin. And then what does John say here? Little children, don't let anybody deceive you. Mm. That's a false gospel that's been deceiving people. That tells them that they can live however they they want. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Mm. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And watch this, he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Wow. Every believer recognizes that. Yeah. We fight, we struggle against sin, or when we do sin, that's, 
the Spirit of God convicts us right. of that. And we can fight and try to justify in our minds. I've done that, yeah. unfortunately. Me too. You know? yeah, and you're like, well, I, that person deserved to hear that, that <laughs> right. harsh word that I had to say because, you know, this is what... And then the Spirit of God just presses in on you. Yeah. And He doesn't let you stay. I mean, you just, yeah. you're uncomfortable. You can't sleep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, you're, you're, everything around you irritates you because your heart isn't, isn't where it needs to be. Yeah. And the Spirit of God lovingly presses in on you. Yeah. Repent of that. Turn yeah. away from that. And then by God's grace, you're humbled mm. and you go and ask for forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. And praise God that he, he does that. Uh, you know, the worst thing I think in the world is to um, come to a point in your life where you realize that you haven't felt the the uh, the pressure of sin at all. Yes. In other words, a dead person won't feel anything. That's right. But a person that's been made alive is going to feel the weight of his sin. And Amen. That is a sign of, uh, of uh, true... Yeah, conversion. Amen. One more passage I, I just sure. want to mention briefly, and then yeah. we'll move on to the next one. But is in Titus chapter two. Mm-hmm. Titus two. Titus chapter two, and I'll just look at uh, verses eleven through and twelve. Mm-hmm. Titus two eleven and twelve. Um, says this, for the grace of God has appeared. Okay, so here we're talking about the grace of God. How, how has it appeared in Christ? Mm-hmm. And the context there shows you that. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And then notice what the grace of God does. Mm-hmm. If a person has truly received the grace of God, notice what it does. Training us to renounce ungodliness mm-hmm. and worldly passions. Mm-hmm. So there's the, there's the negative aspect of it. Trains us to say no right. to sin. So that's a good question to ask somebody. Have you truly received the grace of God? Yeah. Because if you have, here's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's going to train you. And that, that's a beautiful picture as well, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's not an overnight thing. Right. It's not, oh, you got the grace of God? You're in. No more sin. <laughs> right. Oh, man. <laughs> I <Right>? wish there were <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> but, but God magnifies the greatness of his grace over our indwelling mm-hmm. sin through, through that process. So yeah. he trains us, the grace of God trains us, to say no, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and then positively to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Yeah. So that's that's what marks somebody who truly has the grace of God. How do you know if somebody really received the grace of God? Mm-hmm. They're going to be turning away from sin and walking in righteousness, which is the same thing that John said in First John. Yeah. First John 3, That's the right. one who practices righteousness is righteous. The one whose life is habitual in practicing righteousness is the one that you know has received the righteousness yeah. righteousness of Christ. So Yeah, that's that's great. And th- I think that what you said helps to, or, or even the scriptures that you've pointed out, help too on the other extreme. Because I know part of the question was, you know, uh, a conversation that's gospel-centered, mm-hmm. you know, informing the person who wants to know about Christ. Yeah. Uh, and not leading into legalism. Yep. But also not a works-based, That's you know, right. religion. That's right. And so, but again, um, you, you, it was helpful how you made the distinction between um, this being a fruit of your conversion and not, yes. you know, a way, a way to to uh, receive uh, salvation. Right. In other words, so yeah. um, that th- those those categories are important. I think when we talk to people, helping them understand, you know, we do nothing to. Uh, to gain our salvation, but um, in salvation we still live lives that are holy. According to Scripture, we live in pursuit of holiness, 
um, without without a without having a workspace religion. So, right. Yeah. Right. Excellent. Okay, moving on. Let's see. We are in question eleven. Okay. <clears throat> question is: How much time does Faith Baptist spend in corporate prayer? Hmm. For the purpose of evangelism. Yeah, that was a really good question. It was yeah. very convicting as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I've ever calculated how mm. much time is spent, but I can definitely say this, not enough. Sure. Not yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, I, I uh, don't think that we'll ever be at, at a place that we can say that we pray enough for yeah. the purpose of missions, both local, locally and globally. Um, so I, I don't have a definitive number in mind, but mm. I appreciated the question because it, it does help me to think more as one of the one of the pastors at the church of how can we uh, devote more time to prayer specifically for these for these things being that it's one of the core components of our church and our yeah. in our mission statement mm-hmm. um, you know it, it needs to have that uh, you know that that preeminence and in a corporate setting I think is is important as well mm-hmm. is that you're coming together as the people of God and praying, uh, praying to that end. So, um, I know a lot of individual praying, you know, goes on for the purpose of evangelism and that's great, but I do appreciate the corporate nature of it because, um, you do see that in, in the scripture where Mm -hmm. believers are gathering together and they're praying for opportunities. Um, uh, I can think of like in Acts 4, for example, where they're crying out to God, give us boldness to speak the word of God you know, more faithfully. When Paul in Ephesians 6 asked the church at Ephesus, please pray for me, mm-hmm. you know, specifically. So there's a corporate, both corporate examples of, of prayer to that end. Yeah. Um, so great question, and I, I really do want to give that some more thought of, sure. of how we can um, help that to be something that's even more. Uh, because, because the question itself is, is a great question. It reminds us of our utter dependency on anything happening in regards to mission. Yeah, amen. We're not locked into methodology where we're like, because I know how to share the gospel, it's going to be effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's important. Yeah, that <laughs> you, want, important. you want to know it, you want to know how to share it. But if we ever lose the posture of pleading before God in prayer, Open this person's eyes, Lord. Yeah. I can speak all day long. I can be as eloquent. I can know the gospel mm-hmm. perfectly and share every scripture and answer every question. But unless the Spirit of God takes it and open that person's eyes, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, which, again, just reminds me of my utter dependency on prayer and, and yeah. pleading with God. So, really, really good question. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll fire this next one here. So a a good short question that came to us was apologetics, classical or presuppositional, and which method do we prefer and why? So maybe it would be helpful to just generally define what those two systems of apologetics are. Yeah. um, So I guess I'll start with presuppositional um, because I'm more familiar with Mm -hmm. with presuppositional. Mm -hmm. But um, the name explains it all, basically. Uh, Presuppositional apologetics is basically an approach to uh, apologetics that presupposes something. Um, And it presupposes that the sinner uh, is already aware of the existence of God, being that the Bible Bible already teaches that God has been clearly perceived Mm -hmm. from his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, 
have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in um, the things that have been made. It says that in Romans one twenty. Yeah. So again, this 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 is a presupp- presupposition that the unbeliever is without excuse. Yeah. And so the way that we engage in apologetics is that we place the burden of proof on the person arguing yeah. against God. Right. Um, also, uh, presuppositionalism is a school of apologetics that believes that the Christian faith, uh, in the end of the day, is the only basis for rational thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's the basis mm-hmm. even for the unbeliever and, yeah. and how he formulates his arguments. Right. Um, it presupposes that the Bible is the divine revelation and attempts to expose the flaws of all these other views. That's, and that's right. That's the point of presuppositional apologetics. Yeah. Yep. Classical, yeah. Um, um, I'm not. I don't want to misrepresent the position. Yeah. But it, it seems that it, it it doesn't begin the argument or or doesn't begin the discussion with these presuppositions. Right. It's sort of, it begins at a neutral yeah. place. Um, so, it, for example, if a discussion is being had with an unbeliever about yeah. the existence of God, yeah. uh, you both are beginning on a, on a, you know, plain. Uh, platform in a sense. There's, right. there's, you, you both are starting from scratch, um, and, and so a lot of times uh, people have the tendency to use, or Christians have the tendency to try to prove the existence of God mm-hmm. with evidences and facts yeah. and things of that nature. Which yeah. I'm not a hundred percent against that, um, yeah. but I one of the reasons why I lean more towards presuppositionalism is because if it's true that the Bible is God's um, infallible authoritative word. Yes. Um, it already says something about the unbeliever, and it already yes. says something about the believer. And I, you know, I'm, I'm convicted that I have no other choice but to begin with where the Bible, uh, the the facts that the Bible have already stated. Right. And one of those things is that all men um, are aware that God exists because it was God who showed it to them. Yes. Through nature. Um, yeah. And, and the reality of an unbeliever is that although at the moment when you may be talking to them and they're claiming that they don't believe in God, mm-hmm. what's, what's really going on, and I don't know how much they're aware of it themselves, yep. but they're suppressing yes. the reality that God exists yep. and their moral obligation to, yep. to live a life that is pleasing to God. Yep. You know, so they're suppressing it, and so we we have our conversations with that in mind. Yeah, and that that's how I approach. Yeah, amen. Uh, believer. Amen. Yeah. I think you answered it well. I don't know that I would add anything to that. Sure. The the key, I, I totally concur. I, I would hold a a presuppositional uh, view of apologetics as well, um, for the same reasons that you just stated in Romans one eighteen through twenty is yeah. is I think the classic kind of text as we as we think about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we trust the sufficiency and the authority and the infallibility of the Word of God when it tells us that this person that we're speaking with knows that God exists, mm-hmm. even though they're suppressing that truth. But how are they suppressing it? In unrighteousness, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think something that's helpful, and I'd like to hear what, what your thoughts are on this, mm-hmm. um, is when you're when you're in that conversation, let's say with that person, either you know somebody you know or maybe somebody out on the street, whatever the case may be, and they say to you, "I don't believe God exists." How do you work through that conversation? Do you do you try to yeah. bring in some type of classical <laughs> apologetic, or <laughs> right. 
If not, on, on what basis do you try to appeal with them to... Yeah. Well, I, I would start by saying in, in presuppositional apologetics, um, there's, there's so many subcategories mm-hmm. of it. There's so, certain classes even under the umbrella of presuppositional. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing I would... One thing I think would work best is, you know, we, we don't we don't have to get begin our conversation with that person uh, by saying yes you do <laughs> yeah, right, right right so yeah, you know yeah. like we know the the truth of scripture and they they're claiming the person is claiming that there is no god um, so on and so forth we don't have to say yes you do believe and you're just sort of lying um, but a way to to work it out is to 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 help them realize that in order for them to even say what they're saying or to believe what they're believing, it requires uh, standards, mm-hmm. right? It requires rules. Mm-hmm. Um, some mm-hmm. people say, well, I'm, I'm thinking rationally. I'm right. thinking right. with evidence. Mm. But again, uh, those also have, th- those claims also have presuppositions yes. themselves, right? Yeah. They presuppose yeah. that the way to come to a certain conclusion or mm-hmm. a certain answer to some question mm-hmm. on whether God exists or doesn't exist requires yeah. rationality. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, they're going to tell me, you know, don't use your Bible to tell me about God. But, yeah. you know, when they turn around and give me a reason, yeah. um, they're basically going into their Bible in a sense. Yeah, amen. That's a good and, point. And uh, giving me a mm. reason. So mm. what I try to do, at least uh, in the beginning of that argument, is to expose the reality that uh, everything that they believe also has presuppositions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they can say, hey, presuppositional apologetics or presuppositional uh, forms of argument have circular reasoning. Right. But the reality is that so so does theirs, mm. so does every view, because all of it has to stand on something solid. Yeah, yeah. And the only explanation of something solid with rules... And standards that are perfect is the existence of God and a God that requires such standards to, to have any kind of argument. And so we all have presuppositions. We all have, in a sense, circular arguments. But the question in the end of the day is which circular ar- argument uh, reflects reality yes. in, in, in the best way possible. And I'm convinced that the Christian worldview, the yep. Bible itself, yep. Yep. Is, is the best uh, the best explanation for all things. So yep. I try to... It's really helpful. Yeah, I try to get into the discussion by sort of sh- revealing where, where they stand. Right. And the reality is that we all stand on God right. and Amen. the existence of God. Amen. So. Good, good stuff. Yeah. Very, very solid. Cool. Okay, next question. Question is, question number 13 says, Some people quote the Bible, their blood will be on your hands, mm. end quote. Uh, if you don't share the gospel with everyone you meet, how biblical is this? Let me start by saying our desire should be to share the gospel with, with everyone we meet, as we talked about earlier. Our, the disposition of our hearts should always be one of, yes. as we arise each morning, you know, Lord, I've, I've got this view of what my day is going to look like. I pray for gospel opportunities today. Yeah. When I'm at work, yeah. uh, when I go to the grocery store, wherever the case may be, getting our minds in that, in that frame. That being said... Uh, the passage that's being referred to here 
is Ezekiel 3, where God gives that charge to Ezekiel to warn the nation against its rebellion against him. And if Ezekiel didn't, mm -hmm. he would fail in the role of a prophet mm -hmm. in not proclaiming um, the truth of God for whatever reason it may have been. And God says, if you don't do that, their blood will be on your hands. Mm -hmm. um, you also see Paul refer to this in Acts 20, mm -hmm. when he's talking to the Ephesian elders and he says to them, because he's declared the whole council to them, that he is free from the blood of all men. Mm -hmm. um, so you're, you're talking about a prophet in Ezekiel, you're talking about apostle um, in, in Acts 20. Mm -hmm. um, where I want to be careful is, is that a um, commandment given to every single believer? Right. Um, I don't think I can definitively say that it is mm -hmm. because I don't see that type of terminology being used um, elsewhere with uh, to the churches or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. That being said, there is a responsibility that we have as the people of God to proclaim the Word of God because it's a it's a right. communal effort right. in, in, in proclamation. Right. I would see that um, being directed more towards teachers. Mm -hmm. Um, a couple passages that, that come to mind, James uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Let's go ahead and read that. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Mm -hmm. um, so there's an accountability that teachers have mm -hmm. um, that is greater than those who are not teaching. Yeah. So that that's one aspect that I see seeing that. So not it's not it's not this just everybody's judged in the in right. the same way with that, right. but teachers are judged with what they what they say. And then in Second Timothy, mm -hmm. um, chapter four, you see the same type of uh, language being used there that you do with uh, with James here. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul is inspired to say to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. So he's, he's, he's calling Timothy, I'm, I'm bringing the Godhead, you know, yeah. before you. This is this is the weight of my statement here. Yeah. In the presence of God in Christ Jesus, Timothy, I'm giving you this command. And what's the command? Preach the word. Be yeah. ready in season and out of season. So there, there is a standard given to teachers of the word, preachers of the word, mm -hmm. um, that I think is different in a sense as far as accountability um, than the general. Um, the general church, whereas yeah. not everybody in the church is a teacher in the sense of the same capacity. Right. We're all called to go and proclaim the gospel, so in a sense we're, we're teaching um, in that way. So I want to be careful to say that um, you know every person that you have failed to witness to, um, you're going to be held accountable for on the Day of Judgment. Because what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> right? What, really, what, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, does that mean we're condemned? Yeah. You know, because we exactly. didn't, you know, I shared the gospel with these 99 people over here, but this one over here I didn't. And again, not that I didn't want to, yeah. uh, but maybe just circumstances, whatever the case may have been. So I always want to keep that heart before us. Sure. But I think that those type of statements can produce guilt-driven evangelism. Yeah. 
not only guilt-driven evangelism, but in my estimation, it can very quickly turn into a works-based salvation. That's right. Because you're dealing with those two things. Number one, okay, I don't have anything on my mind. I shared the gospel with every person in my workplace, every person in my neighborhood, any person I came across. And who can who can say that? Yeah. Nobody's saying Nobody. that, yeah. right? It's Have you shared the gospel with every neighbor in your neighborhood? No. <laughs> Have you shared the gospel with every person in your workplace? No. Yeah, every person <laughs> that you per, per, passed. So the the how realistic is that? Yeah. Is that standard? Um, secondly, okay, so that's the guilt-driven aspect of it, because mm-hmm. not, I'm not guilty now before God. The second aspect of it, how can it easily turn into works-based is because I have done this, right. now I'll be found acceptable with God when I stand before him on the day right. of judgment. That's right. And so now your basis is shift shifted off of Christ and is now on what you have done, yeah. what you have done for Christ. So I want to avoid both of those while at the same time not losing the fervency and urgency that we should have mm-hmm. to bring the gospel to as many people as we possibly can that Amen. are around us. So I want to have grace-driven evangelism Amen. rather than guilt-driven evangelism. That's right. And I think statements of just pulling passages out of their context and not understanding what's going on in the command that God gave to certain people in the scriptures yeah. um, can produce that type of mentality where... Um, you feel very defeated, and now you're leaning on something that you're doing in order to be yeah. uh, confident on the day of judgment. Yeah. Scary, scary place to be. Yeah, amen. So context is very important when yeah. we look at passages like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. <clears throat> okay, all right, let's take a look at the next one here. We've just got a couple left. How do you gauge your humbleness when talking to someone with different beliefs? For example, Muslim, Lutheran, when you both feel you're right and about what you believe. Yeah. Yeah, that, that can be confusing. Um, you know, you're, you're convinced of your position. Someone else who is taking a different position is convinced in their position. Um, but in regards to humility, I think humility is, humility is more about truth than it is about fairness. You know, so when you're having a discussion with uh, someone... And you, you want to be humble, you want to be fair. It's, it's a way more humble thing to be someone who speaks truth. Um, and so again, I say it again, humility is more about the truth than yes. it is about fairness. Right. Uh, many, people make the mis- <clears throat> many people make the mistake of speaking about Christianity as if it's only one possible way out of many. And they do this in an attempt to show humility. The reality is that someone has to be wrong. And yeah. that, that's, that's where we can sort of, you know, weigh out, um, you know, what it looks like to be humble, but yeah. still standing firm on the truth. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but again, someone is wrong in your discussion or in your, in your debate, maybe with someone. Uh, the question is which one? And therefore, the way that the conversation can progress is not by assuming that the humble thing to do is lay down your position and give yes. it up. Right. It's actually the opposite, is to hold it firmly. Um, so... Um, in, in the way that we act towards that person, you can you can show humility in that way. So, for example, you ought to be respectful. That's yeah. a way that we yeah. that yeah. we are humble. Uh, you should be able to have a civilized discussion. Um, we do so as a sign of love towards that other person. 
But in reality, we do not do so on neutral grounds, right? We have real reason to show love towards that person, to show respect for that person. Yeah. Um, and so, again, even our humility is informed by the scriptures. Um, we must keep confidence in God's revelation mm-hmm. uh, and bear witness to its goodness and and its effect in our own lives and never assume that humility is expressed best when we forsake the truths of the Bible. That's not true. In fact, even humility doesn't, it can't be properly defined without looking into the Bible. I think everyone in the world, whether they believe in Christianity or whether they believe in the words of the Bible, um, I think, I think the way that humility is described in scripture and and all the, all the things in scripture that imply what humility ought to look like, that, that outdoes every other (laughs) Uh, every other assumption of what humility is. So, again, we can be humble when we have uh, discussions um, with other people. Um, And we ought to be humble, not because there might be a possibility that the Bible's wrong, but rather that our humility be an expression to that other person, that we believe that truth matters, right? Yes. We're willing to strive all the way through mm-hmm. um, to, to come to this conclusion, but we remain confident, yes. um, especially since Christianity and the Bible has gone through already intense scrutiny mm-hmm. and, and it still remains victorious. Yes. Um, I mean, we've seen that through history. <clears throat> so we can have full confidence in Scripture, in truth, yep. um, and still be humble without laying it down. Amen. That's, that's my answer to that. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing regarding um, how how do you define humility? And Mm -hmm. I think you did a really good job of just laying that out and helping us to see that what it does look like and what it doesn't look like. Mm -hmm. And the posture that we should have. Um, One way that you gauge it as well, I think, is your own understanding of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Your understanding that this person that you're speaking with which, which, by the way, was was a kind of a difficult question in the sense because it used a Muslim and a Lutheran, right. <laughs> which those are going to be different conversations. It is, you know, the Lutheran. Yeah, they're they're probably in house. Not, yeah. not all Lutherans, but right. um, not all Baptists. Not all. You, know, you got to talk to somebody to find out where where they're at. But right. um, just in the context of the question, one is outside of Christianity, one is inside of Christianity. So mm-hmm. I mean, conversation is going to be a little different as far as what you're talking about and everything like that. But right. it, like you said, it's the the awareness, number one, that I'm coming to this person not because I'm better than them, not because I've arrived and I've, I've, I've got everything figured out. It's God has mercifully opened my blind eyes to That's see right. the truth of his word. That's right. And that should be my posture as I come to this other person, that I might be a vehicle by which God works. I might be a vessel by which God works to bring the truth to this person. So there's there's no haughtiness there as far as like, well, I figured this out, why can't you? Right. And again, I think that's where a biblical understanding, or as we might say, Reformed theology, informs us, is that mm-hmm. I didn't do anything to get into this, man. I was dead in my sins, just like this yeah. person that I'm speaking with. And that's I think that's what keeps our hearts in a state of humility, mm-hmm. is always remembering, I have done nothing that's right. to yeah. get where I am in this position. Mm-hmm. And now by the grace of God, I have the opportunity to bring it to this person, that they too may come and share in this unmerited yeah. glory that's that's right. that I have been given. So, good good job, bro. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Excellent. <clears throat> okay, we're in our last question. Okay. I or second to last. The second to last. Right? I'm sorry. Right. I was <laughs> ahead of myself there. Uh, Question number 15, how do we feel, I'm, I'm sorry, how do we respond to an unbeliever's statement such as this? And the statement is this, how can I believe when I cannot see 
touch or feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so <clears throat> I think there's a couple things that go into this. One that we've already talked about is the reality that uh, every man knows that, that God exists. Yeah. Um, so again, with that in my mind, I'm knowing even the statement that this person is making isn't, it isn't correct from a biblical, biblical standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, but additionally, what I would also want to say in that is um, how do we know about anything in history uh, that we haven't seen, mm -hmm. that we haven't touched, that we haven't felt. Right. Yeah. Right? So go back 200 years yeah. where we didn't have any uh, phones and cameras <laughs> and a, you know, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. How do we know that those things happened? What do we have? What yeah. evidence do we have? Right. Uh, well, we have written, reliable records mm -hmm. that help us to see this. Yep. So the reason that I know things about history and can make definitive statements is because we have accurate records right. in mm -hmm. that. So how do I know that God exists um, primarily um, beyond Romans 1 of just the reality that God has yeah. revealed himself to all men, mm -hmm. right? So I'm working under that understanding as well. But additionally, to address that person's question, we have before us the most accurate written record that has ever existed right. on the planet yeah. in, in the Word of God. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's helpful for me in walking that person and getting them out of that mindset of, if I, if I can't see it, taste, uh, taste it or touch it. And then I'd say, on the basis of this infallible written document that we have, mm -hmm. there were those who saw, felt, mm -hmm. touched the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And matter of fact, in 1 John 1, you have that language that's being, yeah. being used as John is uh, bringing about this, this reality. Um, that that God is God is just not this transcendent being that's out there somewhere that He right. came down to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And so First John, chapter one says this, beginning in verse one, that which was from the beginning, yeah. which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, yeah. which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, mm -hmm. concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. Hmm. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that hmm. you too may have fellowship with us. Hmm. Right? Yeah, so, I think that's, that's helpful. You know, that, that's one way of, sure. of addressing it, yeah. is helping them to think about any other thing that they believe. And, yeah. and you, could, you could really, like, ask a question to somebody. Yeah. Hey, what happened back in the 1600s? <laughs> Tell right. me something that, you know, oh, this happened. Well, how do you know that? that yeah. Were you there? Did you see it? Did you touch it? Did you feel it? Right. You believe that that happened? Yeah. On what basis? Right. And they're probably going to refer to a written record that they, right. record that they have. So, again, yeah. it points back to the sufficiency, the infallibility mm -hmm. of the Word of God, and the eyewitness testimonies of those who walked with the Lord while he was 
that was here. Yeah, amen. That, that reminds me of a, of a passage in Luke 16. Um, and I think this probably speaks more to Christians um, and their faith and trusting in what what actually works in, convicts, in, mm-hmm. in uh, convincing someone of the truth of the scriptures. Okay. Which is, um, looking at uh, Luke 16, uh, verse 29, yeah. it says, But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And, you know, when we think of Moses and the prophets, um, we ought to think, you know, the Old Testament scriptures, yeah. right? These are the testimonies of the prophets and, and Moses. In other words, the scriptures. Yeah, right? the, the Bible, law and the prophets. The law and yeah. the prophets, right? Yeah. And then verse 30 says, And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they, don't, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convin- uh, convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Mm. So, uh, you know, they can see resurrection live yeah. in front of their face. Yeah. And what we see here in Scripture is that that, um, e- even if they did see something miraculous that way, right. you know, if they don't hear from Moses and the prophets, if they don't hear from Scripture, yeah. um, and if the Lord doesn't use the word in their hearts, I mean, they can see all these kind of miracles, and they... Chances are they'd still go back to their sin. They still right. would go back to, um, you know, rejecting God. Right. Um, because ultimately, the Word of God is what um, revives the soul of the person. And That's so, right. just for the Christians, I would say, um, yeah. you know, we apologetics and things like that are great and important. Um, but let's keep our faith in what actually works. The Scripture says that the gospel, right, yes. his, his Word is what uh, brings dead people back to life. That's right. So, Amen. Yeah. Amen. Good Good stuff. So, yeah. Okay. Now, we're on our last uh, question, number 16. I'll go ahead and ask it. It says, can you suggest a resource for conducting discipline in a Christ-like way within a public school setting, specifically addressing submitting to the law while seeking to share the gospel? Any suggestions, direction would be appreciated. That was probably the hardest question out of all of them. <laughs> I know. In fact, I don't have an answer on that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, as, as I tried to give that some thought, yeah. um, and, and having worked in the public school system, so I understand the, the challenge of that, yeah. what makes the question so difficult is that you're working with a system that does not allow for God to be brought into the equation. Yeah. So you're, you're not... I can't stand before the class and say, this is the standard by which this class is going to be governed in accordance with the Word of God. Yeah. Uh, so that, that presents a challenge within itself because you're dealing with a system that has pushed God out mm-hmm. and pushed Christ out and doesn't want the gospel, and you can't bring that into the classroom. Mm-hmm. So how do, you, how do you do that? The way that I tried to do that, and by the way, I don't know of any resources that specifically answer yeah. answer a question like that. So I, I apologize. Mm-hmm. If I come across anything, I'll definitely make that known. But how I tried to handle that was I would set up rules in my classroom that, uh, without being said, were governed by the Word of God, right. which all rules that are right are. That's right. Ultimately, they have their derivative from, from, from the Word of God. That's right. Yeah. Um, even when you talk about the Ten Commandments with people, do you think those are good things? Yeah. Right? Yes. You know, people, people, people agree with that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so you can structure 
your classroom in an orderly way mm-hmm. on the principles that you see in the Word of God without actually quoting chapter yeah. chapter and verse, yeah. um, because you can't. Mm-hmm. Which, if you could, that would be that would be better. Right. Um, so you provide that order, that structure. The other thing that I would try to do, and I wasn't always great at this, um, was being as consistent as possible. Mm-hmm. That you're helping those students see that what was wrong yesterday mm-hmm. is wrong today, and it will be wrong tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Because you're reflecting something about the character of God in that, that he's unchanging. Mm-hmm. That he's set forth his standard, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't waver yeah. um, in that. There are no exception clauses you know, yeah. within, within the Ten Commandments. I mean, they're, right. they're, they're clearly laid out for us. Yeah. Um, so helping that, and then the, the last aspect, what, what I would do, is just praying fervently mm-hmm. that the Lord would give you opportunity. I'm amazed, as I taught for six years in the public school, amazed at how many opportunities the Lord gave me wow. to yeah. share with my students about the Word of God. Excellent. And so my, my encouragement would be, be prayerful mm-hmm. and seek those opportunities. Um, That's the way that the Lord will work through a situation in yeah. which you're you're constrained to some degree. And I think I think when you push that out mm-hmm. beyond the public school system, in almost every other arena of work, mm-hmm. you're facing that to some degree. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're dealing with it differently, maybe because you're you're not in a teaching setting or whatever the case may be, but. It, it pretty much looks the same, right? Yeah. You can't just go into your workplace in most places and preach the gospel, right? Right. So your 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 mindset is the same that you're trying to use the things that are around you, the opportunities that you have uh, to bring the gospel to bear, and trust that that God will open those doors. I really am stunned by. Uh, how many opportunities the Lord gave just through general questions that students would ask. That's great. Um, hey, you know, what's what's some of your favorite things to do? Oh man, I love going to church and being with the people of God. That's and, right. And then a question arises, you know, yeah. two days later. Hey, you know, you said about this. You know, what do you think God thinks about? Da, 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 da. Yeah. Boom. Boom. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> into, yeah. It's like beautiful. Um, and so for me, it was just, please, Lord, I'm here. Yeah. I'm, I feel constrained in a sense, yet I know I'm not because you're sovereign. You've placed me here, so I'm not constrained at all. But the system in with I'm, which I'm working doesn't give me the freedom to preach the gospel like I would like to. Right. So open those doors for me. And yeah. I saw it happen much more frequently, just on that one-on-one setting yeah. and not in a, a whole-scale type of classroom. So make sure your classroom is ordered and, and structured with, with solid rules that, that help children understand barriers and what they can do and what they can't do. There's a lot of freedom in that. Um, and then just pray fervently that God will give you opportunities to open your mouth for Christ. So. Yeah, amen. Yeah, that's very, very helpful. Very good. Amen. Yeah. All right, well, that's the time. Uh, that's the end of our, our time for our Q&A. So, again, just want to say thanks to uh, all those who submitted questions. Hopefully those answers were, were helpful for you guys. Thanks, brother, for, oh, for jumping in on this as my well. My pleasure. Uh, it's really, really been a blessing. Let me just close us in prayer yeah. and uh, we'll conclude. Father, we again want to thank you for uh, this class that we were able to go through. Lord, to have our minds sharpened by the Word of God as we think about our opportunities that we have both individually and corporately to bring the gospel. Father, to those who are around us, and I, I pray that you would give us a great burden to bring the truth of your Word to those who are around us. Lord, give us a, a sense of urgency, a sense of uh, great compassion, 
Lord, let us be broken of how your glory is trampled all around us, and let us be broken as we remember what awaits the unbeliever. Um, let those move us to uh, great um, sacrificial love and give us ways to, to exemplify that in every arena of life that you have placed us in. So we trust that you'll, you'll do that for your glory, Lord, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to be those who open our mouths for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ and his truth. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, brother. Yeah.